Give ear, O Lord, to our prayer. Listen to our pleas for grace. In the day of our trouble, we call upon you, for you answer. There's none like you among the gods, O Lord, nor are there any works like yours. All the nations you have made shall come and worship before you, O Lord, and shall glorify your name. For you are great, and you do wondrous things. You alone are God. Teach us your way, O Lord, that we may walk in your truth. Unite our hearts to fear your name. We give thanks to you with our whole hearts. And we will glorify your name forever. For great indeed is your steadfast love. Great is your love that dwells in your people. Make it to abound in all ways among us. Make it resplendent that the world may see. May your love shine brilliantly in us, through us, and for your glory. You are our all in all. And we give you thanks and praise. Amen. And amen. Last week we began a series where we are reminding ourselves of what we're about as a church, thinking about our mission in this community, in the world in which we live. And uh, we launched last week thinking about the greatest commandment. Jesus was asked, what is the greatest commandment? A lawyer wanted to engage him in debate and uh, distract from what he was doing. Jesus, knowing the heart, of um, knowing the hearts of all people, recognized what was taking place. But he said the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your mind and all of your soul. And so we unpacked that last week, talking about how the greatest commandment is indeed the launching point for us as a church, that everything we do must be based upon and founded upon that greatest commandment. Now, there are many ways to express love for God. We do that through worship. We've been doing that this morning since we arrived here and gathered together. We do that also through being in His Word, saturating ourselves in His Word. We do that as we obey His Word. We do that as we pray and depend upon Him. We do that as we share Christ with others. All these things express love for God. The scripture we found last week also told us that when we don't love the world, we actually express love for God. And one other important way that we're going to talk about this morning of displaying love for God is by loving others. By loving others, we also express love for God. We mentioned Matthew 22, 34-40 last week, and the greatest commandment. A second part of that, if you remember, Jesus said, not only is this the greatest commandment, but there is a second that's like it. And that second one says, love your neighbor as yourself. John chapter 13, 
that Akeem just read, we see that Jesus gave a new commandment, he said. A new commandment that you love one another. That you love one another. So today we're going to talk about the new commandment. Last week the greatest commandment. This week the new commandment. Love one another. To whom is he speaking when he says this? Well, we know that Jesus was in the upper room with the disciples. This is just prior to his arrest, his trial, and his crucifixion. He's preparing them for his departure, for what's about to happen. He's getting them ready for the shock that's to come. But he's also celebrating the Passover with them and also initiating what we know as the Lord's Supper. And you remember that night that he took on the position of a slave, that he humbled himself, taking on the wardrobe of a slave and, and bowing down before each of these disciples to wash their feet, to wash their feet, which they pushed back from. But Jesus said, if I don't do this, you don't have any part with me. So he demonstrated this incredible humility before them and also a great love for them. And then he came to this great commandment or the new commandment that he gave them. This new commandment I give you that you are to love one another as I have loved you. You are to love one another. So the immediate context is the disciples. He's compelling them. He's exhorting them to love one another as he has just demonstrated love for them. But it's also a larger context. It applies to all the church, to believers. The, those who have been adopted into the family of God are to love one another. This refers to all believers of all time. This points to believers that are a part of God's eternal kingdom, all of them. It speaks to every believer in every church around the globe that is met today and will meet as this day moves forward. And it applies to every believer here in this place. Love one another. But is it limited, is this love, the object of this love, limited to fellow Christians, to fellow believers? We're instructed, as Jesus said in Matthew, that we're to love our neighbor as ourselves. And here he says we're to love one another. So clearly he's giving us, picture, two sides to the same coin. We as his people, we who reflect him in this world, who represent him in this world, are to love others. We're to love our neighbor, which is not just some sliver of humanity, right? Not just your HOA or the person who lives next door to you, but everyone we encounter. When Jesus gave this instruction in Luke chapter 10, he followed it up. This, there was another lawyer that encountered him and knew the great commandment, but he said, he asked him this question. When Jesus said, love your neighbors yourself, he said, well, who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? Who are you talking about? And Jesus then gave the story of the good Samaritan, distinguishing that we are to love all people, not just certain people, but all people are our neighbor. Not just those that are in close proximity, but every person that we come into contact with. The new commandment, as I said, is a coin with two sides. As Christ's church, we love one another 
as He has loved us. And we love our neighbor, all people, as we love ourselves. So this is what he's saying. Now I want you to look, hone in on uh, 1 John chapter 2, verses 7 and 8 is where we will begin. 1 John chapter 2. Verses 7 and 8. Beloved, I am writing, writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I am writing to you, which is true in Him and in you. Because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Beloved, I am writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. Now some might say this is a contradiction. Others may claim that John is speaking about a second commandment. But what indeed is he saying? Is he talking about the same commandment that Jesus spoke to in John chapter 13? I think very clearly he is. Hold your place there. Turn over a couple of pages to 2 John. 2 John follows 1 John. And look in verse 5. And now I ask you, dear lady, not as though I were writing you a new commandment, but the one we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. Not as though I were writing you a new commandment, but the one we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk according to His commandments. This is the commandment, just as you have heard from the beginning, so that you should walk in it. So he points us back to this second chapter of 1 John, love one another, and from the beginning. From the beginning of what? Well, the old commandment is the word that you have heard. The beginning refers to the beginning of their Christian life, when they first heard the gospel, when they first believed the gospel and trusted in Christ. It sounds confusing. It sounds contradictory, but it's really not. In 1 John 2.24, he says, Let what you heard from the beginning, let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that He made to us eternal life. John's not trying to add some burden to them at this point. This is something extra that you're supposed to be doing as a part of your faith in in the Lord Jesus Christ. He's reiterating what they already know and what they already should be demonstrating in their life. How they should already be living their lives. It's not an advanced step or stage in the Christian life. It is from the beginning. It's part of what John meant in chapter 1 of verse, and verse 3 of 1 John, when he says, That which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And again in verse 5, This is the message we have heard from Him and proclaim to you, that God is light and in Him is no darkness at all. Now, he's not seeking to undermine grace in this discussion. 
But he does offer somewhat of a rebuke. A rebuke, it's important for us to understand how the gospel is proclaimed and portrayed. And we don't always do a good job of that. I want you to think about when you first heard the gospel. How did you hear it? How do you think about the gospel now? How do you communicate the gospel to others? If, if we're to lean into what is typical, I think you would hear things like, God loves you. He died for you. He died that He might forgive you. He adopts you. He gives life. But I would add the question, to what end? Is it just all about us and redeeming us and saving us from sin to something different? Many times the gospel is prevented, presented merely as a benefit package. These are all the things you get. Come follow Jesus and here's what you will get in return. It's like when you get ready to take on a job, right? You want to talk about the benefits because that's how we have trained our minds to think in the society in which we live. But John makes clear from the Word that the instruction comes. He stated in verse 34, Jesus has given us this instruction that goes along with the gospel. Love one another as I have loved you. In Christ, we are new. Corinthians, Paul wrote, we are new creatures. We've become something new, and it carries with it certain expectations of how we then conduct ourselves. In Christ, we are transformed, and so therefore we are able to love one another. It's not new. It's an old commandment. It's from the very beginning. So why is it called a new commandment? Verse 8 says, at this time, it is a new commandment that I am willing writing to you. Jesus called it a new commandment. Jesus called it a new commandment. Because which is true in Him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Now what does that last statement mean? Because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Particularly the already, already shining. John Piper described it this way, which I thought was a great way to state it. He says it means that the light that was expected sometime in the distant future is no longer only a hope, but it has already begun to shine. In Isaiah chapter 60, verses 19 and 20, the prophet articulates the Old Testament promise this way. The sun shall be no more your light by day, nor, by, nor for brightness shall the moon give light to you by night. But the Lord will be your everlasting light, and your God will be your glory. Your sun shall no more go down, nor your moon withdraw itself. For the Lord will be your everlasting light, and your days of mourning shall be ended. You see, the Old Testament pointed forward to a day when it would be all light. There would be an abundance of light, perfect light. There would be no more misery, no more sin, no more despair. There would be righteousness and joy. John says that promise, that light, that hope is already shining. It's already here. 
In other words, I am writing a new commandment of love to you, and the reality of this love is coming true in Jesus and in you. Because the darkness is passing away, and the true light is already shining. Or we could state it in reverse. We could say it this way. Since the true light is already shining, the result is that the love commandment has come true in Christ and is coming true in you. The glory of the light of God includes love. Loving one another reflects the radiance of God's glory. Now today... We have another one of those gray, kind of wet, gloomy feeling kind of days. We've had a lot of those lately, right? You get up, you look out, and you think, uh, yet again. It's a little bit of a downer, isn't it? But you know, just in recent days, the last few days, things kind of changed. It cleared the sky cleared, and if you're an early riser, you get up and you see the darkness. It's pitch black dark outside, but along about 7 o'clock, 7.30, something like that, it begins to lighten a little bit. And then somewhere closer to 8, there's a beam of light that comes across the horizon as the sun peaks over the edge, right? And that light just dances across the landscape. The shadows are still there, the darkness is still there, but that light comes and it gives you a promise, does it not? The promise is that there's more to come. There's more coming. And as the sun climbs into the sky, it's not long as we get toward the middle of the day when the whole surroundings are awash in that light. Isn't that right, the way it happens? You don't think about it very clearly. We just assume it's going to happen, right? But this is what happens, and this is kind of what John is describing here. It's the picture of Christ coming into this world. At his first advent, the great beam of light, hope, appeared. We saw it. And it gave us a promise, a promise that there's more to come. And as Christ has begun to move into the hearts and lives of people, His people, that He's calling unto Himself, that light is growing and expanding. And soon, the light of Christ's love will cover all creation. So why does John emphasize this newness and this oldness of the same thing? It seems he's distinguishing this teaching from that of false teachers who were on the scene at that time. There were people who left, who left the faith, left the congregation. Verse 19 of chapter 2, he says, They went out from us, they were not of us, for if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they were not of us. And in verse 24, Let what you've heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. So it's not the new commandment. It's old, it is the new commandment according to Jesus, and it is old since first hearing and knowing the gospel. And the newness relates to the newness of the light that is now in his people. Christ in us. It's the true light that has already come and is shining. Now our love cannot earn God's light. Love is in you because the true light is already shining in you 
We know that we have passed out of death into life because we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Love doesn't merit eternal life. It is eternal life because it's already in you. Our love cannot deserve God's love. It is God's love being perfected in us. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and His love is perfected in us. We have a new commandment. It's not really new. It's been with us and in us since Christ regenerated us. This commandment is important not only because Christ called it a new commandment and specifically told us that we're to love one another, but also it exposes or reveals our spiritual state. In chapter 2, verses 9 through 11, he says, Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. John's very clear that there is no middle ground here. We love middle ground, don't we? We love, to find, we love to find a place in the middle where we don't really have to take a side one way or the other. We want to think that it's not all or nothing. It's not black or white, that there's plenty of space in here for the gray. But that's not the way Jesus operated. In Mark chapter 3, the Scripture says He entered the synagogue and there was a man there with a withered hand. And the, they, that is the Pharisees, watched Jesus to see whether He would heal him on the Sabbath so they might accuse Him. And he said to the man with the withered hand, Come here. And he said to them, Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm? To save life or to kill? He gave them no place to stand. You either save the life, you either transform the life, or you kill the life. If you don't want to save it, then you're in the class with the killers. And John is giving the same thing here. He says, if you don't love, you're in the class with the haters. And Jesus said, what about hatred? It's murder. Hate reveals actual blindness to the line of God. Love is the evidence that sight has been given to the blind. This is the miracle of the new birth. This is the true light that is already shining. This is the fountain of love in every believer. So he's giving us a commandment. There really shouldn't be a commandment. He is in us. He is the love. The love that compelled Christ to leave his throne and enter this world, condescending to take on human flesh and live in this broken world for a time, perfectly fulfilling God's plan, God's will, God's expectations, and then vicariously giving himself as an atoning sacrifice upon the cross, dying and suffering in our place. The love that compelled Christ to do that is the same love that dwells in you today. You see, I'm not capable of loving. I'm not capable of loving you in the flesh, in myself, in my own want to. It escapes me. I'm bent in another direction. I'm bent toward hatred. I'm bent toward murder. I'm bent toward resentment. I'm bent toward criticism. I'm bent toward insults. But 
with Christ. The newness has come. The new light now shines in and is expanding forth and overflowing the life and leads me and encourages me and enables me, empowers me to love one another as He has loved us. Love is shining in us, through us. It is the proof that we belong to Christ. And if it's not shining in us and through us, it's the proof that love is not in us and that we are not in Christ. There's another final point we must consider. You must go back to John chapter 13 and verse 35, which says... Jesus said, I'm giving you a new commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. And then verse 35, he says, and by this, all people, all people will know that you are what? What? My disciples. I'm giving you a new love, myself, that will be in you and shining forth from you. And as you express this love, show this love one to another, the world will see this and go, huh, that's different. That's unique. And it will draw their attention, it will draw their hearts toward Christ. It reflects and reveals God's glory. If Christ is in us, then the love that brought Him out of heaven to take on flesh and live among us and suffer for us is the love that took Him to the cross. It's the same love that's in us. And the world will recognize Christ as they see His love on display in us. This new commandment is very important. It's very important. And it should characterize the church. If we're to be known for one thing in our community, it should be that we love the Lord our God with all our heart, mind, and soul, and that we love one another. It's straightforward. There's not a lot of nuance here. It's very clear. It is straightforward and to the point. But there's some things we need to drill down on. A little bit. We need to think more beyond the theory and talk a little bit about the practicality. Let me give you some examples from Scripture, first of all, some illustrations from Scripture of not loving others. This is not rocket science, is it? You could go through your Bible and do the same thing very easily. But let's, let's remember a few that didn't didn't love others, right? We don't have to go very far out of the gate, do we? Cain, his attitude and his action of murder toward his brother Abel, that's not loving others, is it? Not loving others. Jacob's attitude and theft of his brother's birthright and blessing. More greed, covetousness rather than love. Joseph's brother's resentment and betrayal of him selling him into slavery. Judah's failure to care for his widowed daughter-in-law led to a heinous act, one that embarrassed him greatly. 
King Saul's paranoia and jealousy toward David. James and John, disciples of Jesus. But in the beginning, and for much of their time following Jesus, they were called the sons of thunder. Why? Because they weren't very loving toward others. Ananias and Sapphira. Their greed, their covetousness, their lying to God and to the church, trying to elevate themselves, not loving others. You remember the proud Pharisee standing in the temple, looking down his long nose at the tax collector and thanking God that he's not like him. And then there's the Pharisee Simon, who had Jesus into his home, who had incredible arrogance toward the sinner, the woman sinner from the community who came in and anointed Jesus with perfume and with her tears. The Bible's filled with people who weren't very loving. But then there are those who do demonstrate love. Judah's transformation. His his, uh, widowed daughter-in-law and her actions toward him and that that whole charade embarrassed him and brought him to some sense of reality he changed after that he confessed that she was more righteous than he was when he was confronted with the truth and Judah later became one who was willing to risk his life submit himself uh, substitute himself for Benjamin's well-being demonstrating that indeed he had been changed by the love of God Ruth's unflinching unflinching commitment to Naomi, selfless, caring. I will go where you go. Your people will be my people. Moses' mother, guarding that baby until she couldn't hide him any longer, then giving him up, putting him in that basket, and then giving herself to be a chambermaid, a nanny, without the name of mother. For his benefit. Hannah's love for God giving up Samuel. David's loving kindness for Mephibosheth, Jonathan's relative. Or Jonathan's selfless love for David. Or Paul and the Ephesian elders' love for one another that led them to separate in tears, knowing they would no longer see each other in this world. Paul expressing his love for the Thessalonians or the Colossians, or the Philippians, or Philemon's love for Christ and all the saints. The Bible's filled with many giving us that example of loving others, none greater than our own Lord Jesus Himself, who while we were yet rebels, having enmity in our heart, murder in our heart, came and died sacrificing Himself for us. But let's think about some practical examples. How does this translate to our lives, to our daily lives, to our interaction with one another? Well, let's start with our neighbors, those who are outside the fellowship, those that are not brothers and sisters in Christ necessarily, but are just people we encounter. How about simple acts of kindness? Being alert, being intentional, not just to... Share an act of kindness or care towards someone, but being willing to take the time and run the risk of explaining why. Why you're demonstrating kindness toward them. It's not because I'm a good person, right? 
I am able to do this. I am able and called to do this by the love of Christ that indwells me. Not for anything that I've done. You see, if we're not careful, we elevate ourselves in this process. People will say, oh, that guy, he's a good guy. Look what he did for me. That's not the objective to have them say good things about us. But the objective is to have them understand how we've been changed by the love and the grace of God and point them to Him. It is because of His love that you're able. How about giving or leaning into needs, uh, benevolent opportunities or crises, whether it be someone in your neighborhood or someone at work or someone that you know from a distance. Be intentional, again, even in anonymity. It doesn't end with the monetary gift, giving them something online or writing a check or just dropping something in a bucket somewhere. But take that back. I'm not saying that you make yourself known necessarily, but ask God, be praying and ask God to make the gift one of love in your heart and mind. And thank God for giving the opportunity so you can give to others. Ask God to take the gift and bless it and multiply it and use it to exalt Him. Because He gave it to you to begin with. It belongs to Him. How about having meaningful conversations with others? Listening for clues about needs and opportunities to to step into, to bless, to pray for. Ask for opportunities to pray with them and for them. Even lost people, even your most hostile neighbor, most often will be welcoming to your gesture or offer to pray for them. Everyone recognizes that. And listen, there's no greater opportunity recently than what's happened this week with uh, DeMar Hamlin uh, incident on the football field and Dan Orlowski's prayer on the air. You now can step into that wave and use it for the glory of God. Who would dare push back on it? No one. Follow up with them. Don't just... Say, yeah, give me a prayer request and then never speak to them again. Circle back. Circle back and ask, how's it going? How can I continue to pray? Let them know that it wasn't a one-off, but that it is a way of life. That it's something that continues to stay with you. And continue praying and asking for updates. How about inviting neighbors for coffee or for dinner and build relationships? Explore their spiritual status. You don't have to do that right out of the gate. Genuinely be interested in them. Find out about them. Find out how God has uniquely made this person. And how you can be an instrument of His grace in their life. Discover ways to encourage them and pray for them. And look for that opportunity Pray for that opportunity to share Christ with them. That's just a beginning point. It's just to wet, wet your whistle, to prime your pump. But I challenge you and encourage you this year to be thinking in these ways, to be intentional about it, to be praying. How, Lord? How? Who in my life 
Who are you going to bring across my path? Lord, give me this spiritual radar that starts pinging when there's an opportunity close by. And step into it. How about loving one another? We bring it inside. We bring it inside the doors of our fellowship. We need to leverage our church gatherings and meetings and services. Take the opportunity when you come together as a church, not just to hang out with the same old crowd, not to sit with the same old crowd. This bunch is pretty good at that. You you do move around. You throw the preacher a curve because he doesn't really know where you're sitting sometimes. But that's okay. Take and be intentional about the opportunity to meet and get to know somebody new. You're going through kind of a unique situation with two congregations merging together. There's a lot of people who still don't know each other. You might know a name and a face, but don't know much about them. Make it a point when you come together to meet and find out something new about someone different. It's boring just to hang out with the same people all the time, right? Yeah. And that's no reflection on any of you. Look especially for those who lean outside, outward. Those who are on the periphery. You know who they are. You see them. They don't seem to be as engaged or they don't have a a bunch of friends hanging around them. To borrow Nathan's phraseology, they're not the cool party a person at the party, right? I can't even say that right, you know. You, they're quiet. They're reserved. They're pulled back. That doesn't mean there's anything wrong with them. It just means maybe they're not as confident or maybe they don't think they have much to say or maybe they think they don't have much to offer or maybe they think you've got too much to offer. But those are the ones you need to really... Go after first and get to know them. Find out what makes them tick. Find out who they are. They're your brother, your sister in Christ, right? Everyone has the coolest stories. Seek them out. How about having meaningful conversations about real life and spiritual matters? Being willing to be personal. Be intentional to explore and share spiritual things in your life. How you're growing. How God's challenging you. How you're struggling. There's no sin in that. That's what we do together. It doesn't make you weaker. It doesn't make you a pariah. It makes you authentic. It makes you genuine. And it draws us together. Because you have brothers and sisters that want you to be stronger, to grow, to lean into those growth areas and opportunities. Pray for members by name. You have... No excuse, you can go to the Shelby Next app and you can pull up all the members, all the different groups, ministry groups in the church, and you can pray for them. You can have a day of the week assigned to different parts of the directory or different groups that are ministering in the church. You think, well, it doesn't really matter, but it does matter. We're encouraged to pray for one another. It has an impact. Seek information, how you can pray specifically for different people. Participate in discipleship opportunities. We just came out of one this morning. 
It's designed, it's designed not only to edify the body, to teach you and to grow us all in our faith that we can be stronger in Christ, but it's designed to rotate every quarter so you can stir the pot. You get to see some different people. You get to meet different people as the classes change out. You're not with the same group all the time. And look, if you are with the same group all the time, you need to change that up. You know, don't, this is not high school, right? Right? Remember high school when you just hung out with the same old posse all the time? Take the opportunity to get to know somebody different. Somebody in a different age bracket. Somebody in a different life situation. Not just the people who are walking where you're walking right now. This is the way we love one another. Those classes are important. Participate in the community groups. You've got a great chance tonight to start fresh and new as we resume those. I would encourage you, if you don't know where, all you've got to do is ask Nathan. He's going to point you somewhere. And we try to, you can, you can connect with one. There's someone close enough to you logistically to where you won't have to travel far to do it. It's a little scary to start with. Especially when you meet my dog for the first time. It can be very intimidating. But once you cross that threshold, you'll wonder why you weren't doing it sooner. Spending that time together, fellowshipping, getting acquainted, praying together for one another. It's very important in nurturing the fellowship and relationships in our body. It may be our best opportunity for that to occur. Get involved in other Bible studies and accountability groups. There's any number of them meeting throughout the week at various times, evenings or mornings. Again, ask Nathan. He can hook you up with someone to where you can get involved. Do coffee, lunch, dinner together. It's especially helpful when you have someone in your home. It just changes the dynamic. When they come into your home, they love the fact that you're being vulnerable. Now, I know some of you ladies, you're a little bit paranoid. Well, what are they going to think? Are they going to criticize my decor or how I keep house, how I don't keep house, whatever it may be? That's not what they're interested in. And if you're interested in that, then stay home. Stay in your own home. That's not what they're interested in. What they're interested in is you. They want to know how you tick, what makes you tick. And that endears you to one another. That makes you, you're, you're taking a risk. You're being vulnerable. And that's what relationships are. That's what loving one another is about. The food, the decor, all those other things are just side issues. Be available to help with various needs as they arise. We have, we have incredible uh, servants in our church. Uh, so many of you doing so many different things. And I have to say, it's a little bit stunning to me right now because there's hardly a week goes by that I don't find out about something that's happened at the church that I had no information about until after it's over with. I like that. But it just tells me that people are not sitting back waiting for someone to direct activity. But they're seeing needs and opportunities and they're seizing those. And that's a good thing. That's a healthy thing for a church. But be available to help with various needs. You have abilities. You have knowledge. You have wisdom. You have experience that can benefit other people. Never underestimate what you've got to offer to someone else. 
assisting someone who's in a unique situation. We've had a plethora of new babies lately. You may be have some gifts there that you don't know. Maybe your gift is changing diapers. You might could help a new mom. We have sickness. We have serious illness, life-threatening illness. Some need help getting to the doctor appointments or to the store or picking up medicines or running other errands. And you say, well, that all sounds good and I'm willing to do it. I just don't know how to start. Listen, ask a deacon, ask an elder. Between those two groups, they have a good pulse, good finger on the pulse of the church and can tell you most of all that's going on where their needs are in the body. Maybe not 100%, but 99%. And so if you want to get involved with some of those kinds of ministries, all you got to do is ask. It can put you in contact with them. Changing gears just a little bit. How else do we express love for one another? We guard each other's reputations. We guard each other's reputations. Don't allow or permit idle and hurtful gossip. Discourage it. Put it out. Put the fire out. Be willing to track down the truth of such matters and diffuse them. Someone starts to share something with you, say, look, let's go to the person and let's get to the bottom of it. Lots of times, most times, it's just a misunderstanding. Be willing to track it down. Be an instrument for reconciliation. James 5 challenges us in this way. Take care how you handle interactions with one another. Be sensitive with attitudes and speech toward one another. I know we like to throw zingers at each other. and Be careful. Be careful. It's not just the person that you may be zinging. It's the people around who may be listening and not understanding that it's a good-natured ribbing. So be careful. Be careful about ignoring one another. Be careful about being disrespectful toward one another. Eliminate hurtful and unhelpful attitudes and habits. Increase your self-awareness. Stop offensive slights. Take care not to discourage others intentionally or unintentionally. Be self-aware of being resentful or jealous of others and their good fortune. The opportunities are endless. But these things prime our thoughts. And should challenge us. As we're beginning a new year, it's a great time. I'm not an advocate of New Year's resolutions, but new commitments in your faith, goals and objectives to grow into is certainly worth doing as a believer. To move, to move the ball down the field in your walk with Christ. Now, one word of caution with some of these things I've thrown out there. I do believe it's possible to create a culture that's so ultra-sensitive to slights and offenses that it becomes an arena of eggshells. We don't want that. We don't want everyone feeling like they can be easily offended. We guard against this by not allowing ourselves to be easily offended. So how? How do I keep from being offended? Well, cultivate a default position to believe the best about others. To believe that it wasn't about you. To believe it wasn't directed toward you. To believe it wasn't nearly what you thought it was. Refuse to assume you're being ignored or insulted or put down. Here in this church, we all profess to be in Christ. If we're in Christ, we have the love of Christ living and reigning in us. Let's lean into that. 
His love in us is not superficial, worldly. Remind yourself, preach to yourself how we are to love each other. Believe Christ's love is at work in all your brothers and sisters. Someone may be having a bad day. That's the opportunity to love them even more and better. Love one another. This is our new commandment, but it's not a new commandment. It's really an old commandment. It's been with us since the gospel has come. And we are enabled and equipped to do it because Christ lives and dwells in us. And it's His love that flows out of us toward one another. Let's not put it under the bushel, so to speak, right? Let's not put the light under the bushel, but allow that love to flow toward one another in the new year. And by this, he says, the world will know that we belong to Him. They'll be drawn to Him. Father, we thank You and bless You for who You are. You are an incredible God, a great God, a mighty God, full of grace and truth, and we bless Your name. Thank You, Lord, for Your great love for us and for giving and equipping us with the opportunity, the ability, the strength Lord, to love you and to love each other well. We pray that, Lord, Milton Community Church will be a body of people that stands out in this world, not because we're filled with uh, great aptitudes, Lord, or talents or abilities, but first and foremost because we are so deeply in love with you and that we are in love with each other, loving each other well so far, so well that the world takes notice of it. And we give you thanks and glory for that. Lord, speak into our lives today for that one who does not know you as Savior. May today be the day that you draw them unto yourself and impart your love into their lives. Lord, changing them, making them into a new creature. Make the gospel, Lord, powerful and clear in their heart and mind today. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.